come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, oh! who rolls up and goes straight on. This is quite appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Hey guys, this is Unqualified. Graham here, Gerald here, bourbon in hand. Thank God the French Grand Prix is over. I think this is going to be a fun 45-minute venting session about how much I personally hate the French. I don't know about you, I got a lot of aggression to get on the table tonight. Gerald, how the hell are you? Phenomenal. Can't wait to hear all of your French takes, per usual. <laughs> well, should we dive right in? Honestly, after uh, after this week, I'm feeling a bit of uh, deja vu. Honestly, once again, Ferrari Why is that? snatching oh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I mean, you had Leclerc commanding lead after a great qualifying performance, starting on pole, holding off an early attack from Max, who seemed completely unable to to really make ground on Leclerc, unable to pass in the first five ten laps. Um, but after which. Um, you know, Leclerc having a DNF all alone as Max Pitts. I think it was a classic situation where, you know, you, when you have a benchmark either in front of you or behind you, you, you feel a little bit more comfortable maintaining the pace, but when you're left out alone and you gotta just punch in a good lap to avoid an undercut, I think he, uh, he got frazzled a little bit. Just dropped it. Is, is Ferrari the fastest car on the, on the, on the grid right now? I think this week showed Ferrari power is the fastest engine on the grid. I mean, between the signs and Magnuson cumulative performances, both early stages of qualifying and then through the race, clearly the most powerful engine. And I think they have a decent, I think they have a decent setup. I think they've optimized their arrow to be, they've got the tire deck figured out. It seems they have yeah. the tire deck figured out. They have the, the setup that's a little bit more, high downforce, better in slow speed corners, but then also has the the torque and engine power to accelerate quickly. And so I, I think they've struck a really good a really good balance. So I love the sport, man, because you can win the engineering battle and not even be close in the war. Like I just it's just the definition of a championship car produced by championship level engineers but not a championship team. Well, and, and, a, a, and I, it's, it's just, it's almost getting old at this point. Um, I think they probably need an off season and some change of leadership. I know we're going to talk about that, but to me, this is as a combination of in previous weeks, it's either been driver error or strategy. And they've kind of taken turns on like, who's going to drop the ball this week. And this week it was like everyone except Carlos Sainz. <laughs> well, we might we might disagree there, but yes, this was across the board a collective team failure in multiple facets of the race. And honestly, to your point, it's a bit unfortunate because it seems like we're quickly squandering what was to be maybe even a better season than last season with a three-team competition at least certainly in the closing portion of the season and now it's looking more and more like we're going to be relegated to a great battle for for second between ferrari and mercedes now look maybe ferrari pulls it together there's a lot of talk of well if ferrari if leclerc wins every race from here on out and and verstappen gets second or lower like leclerc could still win sure but statistically and Based on recent experience, it seems unlikely to happen. And so I think just the fans overall have been robbed from what was supposed to be one, a great race, what yet again, much less a great, a great season. Yeah. And look, you know, say what you want about Max and his aggressive driving style. He looks like a man that just knows he needs to keep it on the track right now. Yep. And that's smart. Yep. They're playing, he's playing the tactics and uh, he's playing to his advantages and that is going to make a relatively reliable car and a very reliable strategy pit wall, uh, really hard to beat. 
from a deficit from being that far behind, even if your car's faster. So, uh, man, I just say it like really bluntly. I just don't trust Ferrari. <laughs> I don't trust them uh, at all. Um, I think they could come out and go one, two in the Hungara ring. And I, I wouldn't feel any differently at this point. I think, I think I'm a bit, I think I'm a bit dead inside and putting any hope in them. Well, at this point, <laughs> and also getting at this point, that would be bucking the trend. So that would be the outlier. Uh, a one, two would be the outlier of the trend. And I would not expect that to that. continue. It's just crazy to say that when you have the fastest car and, and, and I, it's so such a juxtaposition from the dominant, like, Every other year, the team with the fastest car has usually been faultless week to week. And that's just how it's been. And Mercedes just kind of like infuse that into our pattern of thinking. And Ferrari is literally just doing the exact opposite. <laughs> well, and we so. would be remiss not to note Mercedes with the first double podium of the year. And they're coming, man. The, the trajectory is up. They've once again shown that consistency is key. Both drivers are fast while one or more drivers on Red Bull or Ferrari sort of lag in performance or make mistakes and they continue to do everything right. What percentage would you give Mercedes odds today to beat Ferrari and the constructors one week out from this one, one race away from the summer break at this stage? It's quite a quandary because again, on performance, you, you would say absolutely no way. They continue to have just extraordinary pace relative to Mercedes and yet, Gerald, she checks all the boxes. She, mom and dad love her. She looks great on paper, <laughs> but but they don't know her. They don't know the dark secrets. They don't know her past. <laughs> a lot of ba- like, there's a lot of baggage there. A lot of baggage, man. I get it. I get it. Give me a number. What are your odds? What odds would you give? Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't have a call back and make me commit. Put I, a damn spot on the wall. Spot on the wall. At this point, I say above 50%. I'm going 60% Mercedes passes Ferrari in constructors. Between likely mistakes, I think Ferrari will probably, both drivers will have to take engine penalties again, while Mercedes will have to take one. So that's at least one each, which will put, and and Mercedes, I anticipate, will have to do the same as well. But that'll be net-net. Why? I I think you would... Are they even on their second power unit yet? I think they have the pool. I I don't know exactly how they've used within that pool. I would imagine at some point they bring an upgrade. I would be surprised if they don't bring any engine upgrades. I I don't know what the precedent for that is, but my brother had this has this theory that they haven't even been able to turn the engine all the way up because of the porpoising issues. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why the reliability is what it is because they haven't actually strained that engine and Ferrari is like the antithesis of that, that they're basically running their engine on cocaine, right? Yeah, like to absolutely. the fullest extent because their aero works and it's just, it's breaking down. I mean, it's a very overly simplistic way of somebody who has no engineering background whatsoever, <laughs> but like I kind of buy, I kind of buy it, right? Like if it's true and they actually sort the arrow out and un- unlock the potential of that engine. Yeah. I mean, they might have, six races on equal pace with Ferrari towards the end of the year and no grid penalties. And I will give them that every single time and way better driver. As somebody who is equally as uninformed, I buy that. That sounds right. Uh, (laughs) Well, and whether it's because solely, give me another spoonful of that. (laughs) And whether it's solely because of porpoising or having a bit more of the long game in mind. Totally. I I think you see that both from Red Bull and Mercedes is, is being more cognizant of the cumulative points. And admittedly, I think Ferrari is under an extraordinary amount of pressure to do well this season. As much as Bonato likes to say they weren't really fighting for the championship this year. I'll come out and say it right now. If this team gets third, Bonato has to go, right? I hundred percent. If they don't, oh, at yeah. least, they can't beat Mercedes. That's, yeah. What else could possibly have to happen for them to, to fire Bonato? You know what kills me? is that there's a culture in Ferrari of even when, like, the team just really, really Fs up, there's a culture of just, like, they just keep saying the company lines. Like, nobody talks bad about the firm. Like, no one speaks out about the firm. And if you if you even think about it, Bonato pulls you aside in Park Ferme and gives you an earful in front of the cameras, like... Carlos Sainz literally like defended the pit stop strategy 
that brought him in and took him off of the podium, most certainly. And even after the race had finished, and we have perfect data that said that Pierre Gasly stayed out on the same set of tires and had fine pace and was catching cars in front of him. Like, it's just like willful ignorance to not like admit that like you're just wrong. Like, they don't even know like what kind of penalties he's being assessed in the race. Like, he has to tell them. Well, should we go there? Like, Let, let's let's just do a brief recap <laughs> while we're on the topic. Let let's just give a full a full assessment of the failures that yeah, were give, Ferrari today. So give us the list. So first and foremost, Leclerc seemingly a a self inflicted spin. Now let's talk about that for a moment because mid race oh, there was some some whispers some rumors of a of a controversy of a conspiracy that it was actually the throttle but first he spins that's a dnf from first place signs has a slow pit stop followed by what i thought was initially a team induced unsafe release but it turns out it was actually signs going while the red light was still on in his release in well, the well, hold, hold, hold on hold on though but i the jackman released him but even at that point he still has to wait on the light I would assume the light is the the primary indicator of when someone is good to go. Now I don't know if different drivers read that differently. Is the Jackman not supposed to? Re- is the Jackman not supposed to release him until the light is good? Or like whose response? Whose I responsibility would, is it to react to the light? I guess is what. I'm well, saying. I believe it's Signs' responsibility to read the light. I probably think there's a separation of duties between somebody looking down the pit lane to assess whether or not a release is safe. It's clear versus the Jackman is lowering the car as he's watching the remainder of the pit crew take off and apply the tires. And so he's looking at the four tires being on drops the car. Somebody else is separately observing the pit lane and indicating when somebody's good to release signs went when the light was red. So that's on signs. I think, I think you're right. And if you watch his onboard, he makes this like gesture with his hand as if he's like, Oh fuck. Like I just, I know what I just did kind of thing. Yeah. Like, as soon as he realizes how close Albon was to him. Well, what's funny, though, is then in the subsequent radio, you got to love the the political answers. Like, everyone projects into the radio what whatever will be most advantageous to them. Knowing, almost knowing that it's not true. Whatever they say, you almost have to believe the opposite. Coming through the pit lane, Signs was like, that was good. I was good. It was a safe release. There wasn't any risk there. Like just making his argument as to the fact that he shouldn't be charged with an unsafe release, fully knowing it was an unsafe release. Before we go to the rest of the list, can I stop there with a, with, cause I think what you just highlighted is I'd like to evidence and propose a rule change in F1 that I think will make our fan experience better. Okay. I, I think that we should have hot mics constantly in the driver cockpit Always. I think you should be able to hear everything. There should be no concept of mic on, mic off in terms of your ability to hear noises coming from the driver. Because how much did we talk about Charles Leclerc's like Darth Vader scream <laughs> <laughs> after after he crashed? <laughs> and like and and he wasn't intending to have his radio on, and so it was this candid moment. And so I feel like, yes, they would still know that everything they're saying could be broadcast. But if the fact that they were being listened to was just a constant, I feel like they'd be less conscious of it and probably more candid and less political in how they frame things. But now it's like, okay, I I pressed a button, like I literally pulled the microphone in front of me and now I'm speaking for a moment and I know what I'm going to say is going to be heard versus like, if your mic is just hot, you're going to be like NFL like wired where guys are just like bullshit on the sidelines one another about God knows what, like that's the best content. So it's like, if you're going to put a microphone in the freaking helmet, you might as well just leave it hot. Like, Okay, so your point I is that know. it should not necessitate a button to initiate Correct. a communication. It just needs to be hot always. Got like, it. You're always hot. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, you can you can technically make the team radio function however you want, because clearly like the engineers don't need the driver screaming in their ear the whole time. But from a broadcast standpoint, that shit should always be hot. Always. I, I don't disagree with that. I think there is one sort of logistical thing to work out, which is the heavy breathing. I think an awful lot of driver ca- or driver radio is breathing through the microphone, both Leclerc and his like deep panting. <laughs> we figured it out on the podcast, so I mean, it can be done. It can. 
I mean, you're a huge mouth breather. <laughs> With the technical research, <laughs> With the resources they have at their disposal, it should be a... If we want to talk about technical Dude. innovation in F1, <laughs> this is Gerald, this is game-changing. This, this- free this like almost free online podcast recording platform we use has like a noise cancellation algorithm this shit is like not hard to figure out (laughs) yes so i think it should be hot i do think they gotta they also need to figure out some way to like run it concurrently or run the stream with respect to particular battles that are going on i i just continue to emphasize the the driver cams and being able to watch the driver cams simultaneously to the broadcast is just a a a totally game-changing experience i mean i go back have access to the driver cams watch the start of the race over and over again watch these pivotal moments and hear how drivers and their engineers are talking about it. it it it's not even the same sport as just watching the sky sports broadcast it is 100% a different sport. And so yeah. I think they need to continue to find different ways to infuse more driver cams during battles. I don't know if that's like the split screen. They need to have more like constant stream. If you're watching a battle, have both of those radios open and ready to broadcast and you'll have to figure out how to stagger radio if they come in concurrently or whatever. Cause oftentimes they'll talk on straights. And so if drive teams are close, but if you could sequence that and have like the back and forth, uh, it would make such a more dynamic experience and, and they pick and choose. And I think they do a really good job of picking good radio, but I just, I think there's, I think there's more to that. And that's, I think the game changing piece. Now admitted, that's probably why they keep that behind a paywall and want you to pay for the subscription to be able to have access to those things. But that's, that's the next level of, of experience, I think. Sorry, I got us down a rabbit hole. We were talking about Ferrari's failures. Well, should we go back? Should we continue that? I'd be happy to pick back up where we were on that. Yeah, so I think we should. So we should. Leclerc failure, bad pit stop, signs unsafe release. Um, then we had the radio call on Signs' unsafe release, and the guy said it was a stop-go penalty only to have Signs scream at him that it's not a stop-go penalty. Uh, that was so bad. <laughs> and, and then we had the the shit show that was the the confusing signs pit strategy, which went back and listened to that in detail. So basically he's chasing Perez. They tell him in two more laps, we're cleared traffic, which I think was like a uh, Vettel stroll clearing them. And he told them while, while passing Perez on that same lap. So they haven't done the two laps in two laps. We're going to pit actually while you're passing Perez, we should pit right now. Only to have signs scream at him and say, hell no, I'm a little busy right now. And then subsequently, he asked if he could stay out longer after he passed Perez. And they told him, no, we think you should you should come in. At which point he had a two second lead already on Perez, who was now about to start battling Russell. He complied with that with just 10 laps left. And that and that took him from third place down to ninth, I believe, with 10 laps to go. I know that the the persistence of the medium tire late in the race was not a given. That is, it was very hot. That is known as a high deck track. Like there's really isolated, like concentrated tire wear on the front left. There's probably well, he had graining on the front. He had graining on the fr- like yeah, visible graining, graining on the front right tire on the front. Yeah, like and and so I'm sure that like tire integrity is like probably not guaranteed and so you're worried about like a dnf but also if you're ferrari and you already have one driver who's just bend it from the lead of the race like calibrate your level of risk based on like your opportunity for reward and like make the sensible call and leave him out because bringing him in was like a guaranteed podium give up like guaranteed and you think, I just don't understand why. You think he really had a podium? Preferable. You think he really had a podium in hand? I mean, he had a shot at one. I don't know if he had it in hand, but he had a better shot at it on track, staying out on track than he did coming in. I mean, Perez and Russell were going to battle. 
So they were going to lose pace in that tiff that went on for multiple laps. Even with his deg, I think he's got a decent chance of getting a five-second lead. I, I, I do. Well, he was starting with a two-second one before pit, so he yeah, needed to man. maintain three seconds. It, it a, depends on what the it depends what the fall off was in those those last ten laps. Yeah, but and I mean, and again, in hindsight, you look at Gasly doing the same stint. He didn't experience the fall off, and I know that they didn't have a crystal ball and could know that in advance. But I would rather have my guy on bad tires with three laps to go, at least with a chance to fight for it. I, I I'd want to I'd want to give my driver that every time. So I, one, I, th- I think you're right. You got to do the risk calculus. I think they did. And I think they looked at the big picture and said, if we have two drivers DNF this race, we're going to look like some assholes. We need to at least, we need to at least get some points because we're still in a battle with Mercedes. And if we don't have points on the board, this race, that is going to be a serious issue. And I think they knew we're going to end up in fifth instead of maybe maybe third or maybe fifth, depending on where the penalty pans out. We'd rather have a guaranteed fifth than a maybe third or maybe fourth. See, that they were risk averse. That is the right mentality when you're the hunted. They're not. They're the hunter right now, based on how they've done this season. And it, it, like you you have to you have to play to win the game. You have to take cal- calculated risk. I have much more respect for you for going for it. Remember in um uh, what was the rain race where Russell went for the slick super early and just and bend it and ruined that his... was Montreal. Yeah, but like, man, nobody's shitting on George Russell for going for it. Like, I, I, like he's the hunter. Like, you've got to take chances and be willing to roll the dice. Literally, that's the, should be the incentives of nine of the teams on the grid right now. Well, but if you take Bonato at his word and saying we're not fighting for a championship this year, they aren't the hunter. They aren't the hunter because they're not hunting Red Bull. They are hunt, being hunted by Mercedes. I think they have, as a team, already resolved. If Leclerc can get a, a driver's championship, great. I think they have already resolved to, they are not winning constructors. They are playing defense against Mercedes. And they took a more risk-averse position. And I think at the end of the day, that's why Bonato needs to go. Because he's not there to win. He's there to protect the brand, maintain stability, which he also does a shit job at. See, and... This is when why if not I like now, Red then because, when? Because they showed up to the sport, they bought Jaguar, and they just started playing fast and loose with Formula One, having a good time, being excellent at their job, rolling the dice, willing to fail. And, you know, people say a lot of shit about Christian Horner, but he has created and maintained a, that culture at Red Bull. Uh, and it's attracted a lot of really great people inside the sport that want to work in that kind of environment. And it just doesn't seem like that is what is going on at Ferrari. And. You got drivers that are speaking company lines and press conferences and engineers that uh, clearly on the radio don't feel empowered to make the right call or have the right information or make the right call at the time. Their decision-making doesn't seem decentralized intra-race. They're just, a, they're just tripping over themselves, dude. And when you – it's one thing when it happens in isolated moments, but like when it's a pattern of behavior throughout a season, it becomes more and more clear that it is ingrained in, in the culture of the team. And those type of things are really, really hard to root out. They're just hard, man. Comes from the top. Well, and and in terms of management, I think you have to get rid of everyone except the drivers and the the people who design and work on the car. Because admittedly, I think to the point we made earlier, the car is really good. They're probably having to turn up the engine more than they'd like. But if they weren't having to compensate for managerial and like strategic logistical failures. They'd be able to manage their reliability better. Yeah. They wouldn't have to do that. Yep. That's a great point. And so fire everyone except the engineers, the people designing the car, even the pit crew, but race engineers, unfortunately, Bonato, whatever other management structure exists needs to go. I tell you what, they need to just clean house and replace them with all of Williams' race strategists. At least those guys know how to like, go for broke, <laughs> like, you know, like, I, at this point, like, that's what you, you just need some people that are willing there to take swings, man. Like, that might, that might be a bridge too far. I feel like the risk, the, uh, <laughs> the level of scrutiny is just far lower. I don't even think we have any notes on Williams for this week's episode. So it's pretty easy to, uh, take gambles when nobody's watching you. Oh, but dude, I, I, the I, one thing I want to, I was just going to say the culture of Ferrari, just from a distance, it just, Feels like a lot of the, it just feels like really just like deeply ingrained corporate brand protection, you know? Don't talk bad about the firm. 
which I empathize with on my day-to-day job so deeply. <laughs> well, so in terms of protect the firm, I, I would love to entertain the the conspiracy of the week if we if we may. Oh, please. Which was the fact that Leclerc spins, it was a stuck throttle akin to the issues last week, and yet he comes out, accepts absolute, unfiltered, full blame for what happened. And, you know, was, I like to think, and again, this is the conspiracy me, I deep down like to think that it was the throttle and Leclerc got pulled aside and he had to just, was forced to swallow his dignity and just like lie to the camera that it was all his fault and no blame was on Ferrari just because of the scene that, that, that projects about Ferrari. Now I don't believe that's true, but what say you, you think the, the rumors are true. I, I, I appreciate you giving me a layup because the, the data is pretty definitive on this one. I want it to be true too. I really do. Trust me. I, I love, <laughs> I love a good conspiracy, especially when it comes to a conspiracy within a mismanaged organization. That just makes me really happy. Uh, the telemetry is just really obvious. He just didn't break. He just, he broke too late. He just, he was late on the brakes and then he got deep in the turn. He got the tires onto the dirty part of the track. And then we tried to recover it. He just didn't have traction like that. It, it, it like Julian Palmer did his whole just brilliant Julian Palmer analysis where he just, dumbs it down for you in a five minute YouTube video. And you're like, oh yeah, like that's actually pretty, you're like looking at the line on the telemetry data and you're like, oh yeah, like <laughs> that's pretty obvious. Like he just, he just, he got too aggressive. And, and, and you made, you made this point um, very early on. And it's the right one. Like he was pressing, he knew he had a window in those laps to try and not, you know, get undercut, which he was already going to get undercut. But like the mature move in a with a driver in that situation is to know you've already lost track position like you were in the unfortunate position of being the lead car that's a tough position to be in sometimes in these races but you got to have the maturity as a driver to know that like the, the the first pit window is not the full race and so like maintain an, an maintainable pace, right? Don't overstretch yourself to try and prevent an undercut that you have no chance of actually pre- preventing. But he pressed because he lacks, I think, a level of maturity and patience that championship drivers have. And he made a mistake. And look, I'm not saying that Max has never been guilty of those types of mistakes in the past because he absolutely has, but he's he's learned to overcome it. And I think that Charles Leclerc is going to have to go through that painful process of taking his own medicine and knowing how to calibrate his aggression and adrenaline in a race better and and manage it. But he's going to have a lot harder of a time coming up that maturity curve when he's got a team that's fucking up as equally or worse at the same time, which is not something that Max Verstappen ever had to deal with. So, Well, you make a great point because I, Max has taken plenty of that medicine on numerous, numerous occasions, as his detractors will happily point out. Uh, but he took that medicine outside of a championship fight and it prepared him to be better situated when that championship fight actually arrived. He was there to deliver. And let's admit he's been on a bigger stage for longer than Leclerc has been because Leclerc has been there during a period of lull for Ferrari while the, you know, the, the common joke of like the common podium over the last five years has been Hamilton Verstappen Botas. Hamilton has been consistent, or I'm sorry, Verstappen has consistently been in the lead fight for podiums over the last several season. And Leclerc occasionally has been. And so he's been in this third constructor window where sure, like he does great wheel to wheel. He has really impressive qualifying pace at times. But if he makes a mistake, you really don't notice because how much does it really matter? He's not he's not the focal point of every race, whereas Verstappen has been forced to take that medicine and figure out how to drive with the level of precision that he outperforms his car and splits a far better Mercedes at the front. And so, unfortunately, the timing between Leclerc's maturity and the high-performing Ferrari that they have didn't pan out. At this point, I think the best he has to hope is that Ferrari's in the fight next year and isn't superseded by Mercedes and and Red Bull runs away in terms of performance. But admittedly, I think the car is still underneath him. The 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 peak performance is still there. But hopefully, he takes these lessons lessons away now. Yeah, I I I I say this like I 
you know, I got to give a lot of credit to the guy for coming in and like beating himself up a little bit in front of the press and owning it. Like that takes a lot of maturity. I want Charlotte Claire to succeed. I, I do. Like I really do. I think he's a really, really talented driver, but like greatness is defined by consistency in basically every sport, <laughs> like consistency over time. And like, yeah, he's just, he's going to have, he's having a bumpier road getting to that level of consistency than, than a lot of guys. And so I hope it doesn't sink him. It could, you know, it's a tough sport. You don't always get second, third shots, but um, you know. Well, and I, I hope what the, the level set for him is like, look, you can talk shit about the team all you want. There's plenty of, there's plenty of reasons that you can place blame on somebody else, but you're not faultless either yeah. at this point. And so I, I think that's well, hopefully at least setting himself up to turn inward a little bit more and reflect on his own flaws rather than have his season squandered by his team. Because I don't think that would put him on like the, the right trajectory to mature, mature this season and, and for subsequent seasons. Here's the other thing that I'll say about Charles real quick before we, I know we're beating this pretty, pretty hard, but this is definitely the biggest topic this week. I think, I think they deserve it. Well, look, uh, and not just to say something on the nicer side, if he if if he guts it out and he sticks with this team, and and they get themselves to a level of performance and consistency, and overcome it, like he, this guy will deserve a ton of credit. And we should remember like all the shitting and stuff that's got like it takes a lot, especially in this day and age of how athletes navigate contract situations and kind of bounce kind of with a performance orientation from one organization to the other. It's like true in a lot of sports, the NBA especially now. You know, for him to if he wants to stick it out with Ferrari and 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 wade through the muck and the mud of of, of underperforming team and underwhelming expe- of, of expectations, and then they come out on the other side and he can win a championship with these guys, he deserves a ton of credit, man. Like he really he will if that day comes, and I think they can get there. But um, so well, let's remember that. Like he, when it pans out, if it does for them, we, we they deserve a ton of he he will deserve a ton of credit, and, for and he will be the true. He will be the true hometown hero as well. He'll yeah. do something that and and that is Alonzo Raikkonen Vettel couldn't really pull off in terms of a of an enduring position back at the top. And that dynamic, I love that about sports. And I don't, I like just in general, right? That idea of like su- like suffering, right? Suffering and loyalty, right, to a franchise. Um, sometimes it feels a little bit old school. Uh, but I love that about sport and striving over time and then getting a payoff. And so, yeah, he'll deserve a lot of credit for sure. Well, let's pivot a little bit, keep it on, on somewhat of the same topic, but, um, you know, with respect to conspiracy theories and, and feeding those, the, the sky broadcast <laughs> definitely helped with that. Oh, yeah. Um, immediately listening to that radio about, you know, the throttle and jumping on this idea that it was the car's problem. So in actuality, do we have a lot more in common with the, the Sky Sports Dude, broadcast team than we'd like to they think. They ate that up so fast. It was so bad. It was like clickbait, man. They just jumped all over that. They literally just heard him say throttle on team radio. And they were like, oh, could it be? Like, <laughs> Charles having to pry the throttle up with his toe again. Like, oh, it's all the team. It's not him. You know, it just like fit nice into this narrative. And then everybody's like, yeah, all you had to do was go back and listen to like a full continuous 10 seconds of that radio to know that like, that's not what he meant at all. <laughs> like... Well, is it just me or is the overall quality of the commentary this year really lacking? Because the other complaint I have is, you know, the other thing I heard throughout the race was Hamilton was like well off the leader, you know, not even closing the gap. And yet they come on the radio or and they come on the broadcast are like, he's closing the gap. Maybe Hamilton has a shot at this. I'm like, I've been watching the time. It has not dropped significantly. He's pretty far back. What do you, what do you, it's just like, they're just trying to lay up these narratives that have been like pre-planned. They're almost like Ferrari race engineers. They're not actually taking into account what's happening on track. They've just made a plan and they're going to make sure they hit their, their marks. But it just seems untethered to what's actually going on in the race more than, than what, you know, we've complained about bias in the past, but this just seems like misinformation. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think some of it is really probably just you and I are getting more critical because we've been around the sport for, you know, an increasing amount of time. You more so than me. Because um, I, I don't necessarily know that I feel the, I, I you know, I hear people talk about and be critical of the broadcast, especially people that have been in the sport longer than me. Um, I don't have as good of a radar for it, I don't think. I do get sensitive about sometimes when they they just don't cut to different action, like in a timely manner, or they just get stuck on something. But 
Yeah, more on like the production yeah, side. I think some of it just comes down to just like you get around the sport long enough, you just have a more educated eye and you can be critical. But I mean, you said earlier, like it's hard to this, this stuff's hard to broadcast because there's just so much content to try and sift through and prioritize. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... it's all happening so real time. Like you think of the start of the race and you got to take an hour just to go back and watch like the first two laps of every of the start just to understand like what really unfolded. And so, yeah, I, I mean, you're probably right. I think we're just both generally negative human beings. So um, it, yeah. it makes it easier. Well, to... <laughs> and also like you've got a F1's also always trying to calibrate the broadcast quality to the average fan and even more so skew to like the fan that they're trying to appeal to. They're really not building the broadcast for me and you like we're kind of already hooked. So it's, you know, Love it or hate it. They need more. When you, the more dedicated you become to a sport, the less you are actually the target audience in the broadcast, because they're always trying to grow the appeal. So it's, it's tough. Well, I think we've, I think we've gotten to uh, a lot of the big, the big headlines through the race. There's many more to cover, but before we do, I, I think we've, we've allowed Paul Ricard to, to slip under the radar for far longer than it, than it deserves. So really, to the headline question here. How bad is Paul Ricard as a track and and should we do away with it in 2023? There's rumors too. I'm I'm not sure if that's a settled settled issue or not, no. but is it time to go? Yeah, well the whole thing is that they had a 5-year contract uh in Provence at Paul Ricard and um 2022 is the last year, so it's just one of those things where like they're pretty sure it's not coming back in 2023 because they just didn't get a contract new in place in time for the 2023 calendar and they're kind of just thinking like okay, long-term, what's the next five-year agreement that we can do and what, where in France would it be? Would it be a power card? Would it be like a street circuit we try to build somewhere, right? Like, I think the other thing that a lot of European countries who have had long-standing kind of Grand Prix spots on the, or spots on the calendar like France, they're also seeing like the American model for, for track design, temporary locations, how like fan entertainment experiences have been created. And they're realizing that over the years, they've been leaving a lot on the table. And so they're probably trying to recalibrate and know like, okay, so like we need to take this to the next level now. Like, where is that going to be? And, you know, Paul Ricard's in a beautiful part of France, but the infrastructure around it is pretty poor. I mean, 70,000 people at a race weekend is really not an eye popping number in light of what Silverstone puts up and what they're going to put in Austin. Like, I think that, I think that the, I think that they're just trying to recalibrate as a venue, how they can do better. Cause it's kind of just like a vanilla experience. That's the, that's like the French Grand Prix as an event. I hate the track. I hate the track so much. I really do. Visually, it sucks. I think that the racing quality, surprisingly with the new cars, I mean, everybody was talking up, overtaking, overtaking, overtaking one of this, and it didn't paint out that way. Um, so, yeah, I feel like we got a less, even we weren't expecting an entertaining race, and I think we got a less, even less entertaining race than we were expecting. Yeah, I mean, it was it was induced by a lot of the the crash and another safety car, and the start was phenomenal. But I would chalk that more up to the the rule change, which we haven't really talked about in a while. But I think this race this race in particular highlighted the greater level of drama that is happening on the first lap or two as a result of the free tire selection. Oh, that's before a great you point. have the tire selection of like you know you're either on softs or maybe mediums, and everybody sort of has this advantage of getting off the line well, but I think cars full of fuel on hard tires, on the 18 inch tires in particular, I think you're just seeing this bigger offset where either people are able to get in the window, people have a better touch with their setup, certain drivers on mediums, especially launching through the grid. And so I think that's set up for far more interesting lap one, lap two race starts. I don't think that's a, I, now I do think Paul Ricard in its design is actually has a lot of like good sections when cars are really close together that lead to some good battling. But as soon as you start to get some spacing, there's big, long, slow corners right before both of the main straights. And I think that that creates some difficulty to follow, even with these cars and, and diminishes the ability to pass when you're half a second, seven tenths back, whatever. And so, yeah, it's so, but we do have multiple French drivers, a French team, great French racing history, 
Would you say that there still should be a French race on the calendar? Absolutely. I, I joke about my disdain for the French. It's funny because I love France. Like I've been to I've been to Provence. I've been very close to that track. And um, at the time, I mean, I didn't know I was close to it, but I've been to Provence. It's like one of my favorite places in the world. Like I would love to go to a race in Provence. Like they've got these little medieval wine villages, and you're in rosé country, and you go in the lavender blooms. It's like one of the most idyllic places in the world. Like it's amazing. Um, the people suck, but like the country's awesome. So great place to see a race. <laughs> so yeah, no, I absolutely. If France has Le Mans, like they have a very rich uh, racing history. Which is funny to say, considering their reputation as an actual like audio manufacturer is basically zero. But but like they they have a rich racing history, uh, probably just because of their proximity to Germany and Italy. But um, yeah, I think they absolutely deserve a Grand Prix. But there's so much beauty in that country uh, and so much character, they could just do a lot better than Paul Ricard. Well, and I read somebody else pointing out this fact is how close it is to Monaco. I mean, it's just down the road from Monaco as well. And so when you talk about like distribution of tracks, getting different fandom, you that's probably the closest concentrations of tracks. And then you have mods of really not that far away either. And so there's a ton in that immediate area. And so it probably wouldn't hurt them to have another location. That's that's spread out more as well. Yep. Agreed. All right. So, uh, Paul Ricard in the rear view, keep it in France, but uh, somewhere else. Let's touch just on Red Bull real quickly. Uh, I don't think there was, well, we got to talk about Perez, but what was your takeaway from Verstappen this weekend? I mean, good qualifying in second, trailing Perez, or uh, Leclerc early in the race, but didn't quite seem to have the pace, probably burned out his, his tires early on, and then was home free, um, home free after Leclerc hit the wall. But any takeaways on just the, the performance of the the Red Bull and sort of what it looks like going forward. Have they, are, are they still in a comfortable position just on a week to week performance basis? Uh, yeah, I think I would say they're in a comfortable position, but that is slightly hedged by the fact that like, I don't know that they have the fastest car on the grid right now. I think they could get it back again. Um, they've clearly leaned into a certain philosophy with their car design that, it isn't going to carry the day every single weekend. But at this stage, given the lead they have, all they really need to do is get reliability right, and they're fine. Uh, they they should very much be playing defensively. Both drivers need to drive defensively. Perez should be shooting for top fives. Max should be shooting for podiums, and they're going to they're going to, they're going to be fine. So, um, yeah, to me at this point, reliability and just stupid driver errors are the only thing that could screw them. But Max is basically a robot right now. He just seems to be just very robotic and just a tactician. He's not pressing too hard. It's just really impressive, man. Uh, but also has the potential to get really boring, which is like, you know, I want Max to win the driver's title, but also, yeah, I want the drama too. So, Well, and I did notice a different thing this race than relative to what we had seen in, in some of the, I think, very early races of the season where Red Bull and Max in particular – seemed more patient where he knew they had pace. He was willing to have Leclerc sit at, you know, a second, a second and a half away, maintain that gap with the belief that tire deg on Ferrari would, would enable them to have a, have a good shot at, at passing later in the race. And so I don't know if their calculus has changed at all because they've seen a, a market improvement in Ferrari's tire degradation. And so, there was a certain level of urgency to get by him, or if that was just the, you know, seeing red and you have a chance to pass your competitor and the opening of the race and you're going to take it. But it just seemed like he was a little bit over aggressive and squandered, you know, lost his tires on that one early in early in that first stint. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they continue to be that aggressive at the start of races or they settle back into that patience. Cause I actually liked seeing the patience that they had, early in the season and playing the long game. Well, let's talk about Perez because that was certainly the place of a bit more drama this week. Um, you know, he was similar to several weeks, um, several of the last races now that we've moved away from street tracks, which are his forte, it seems in years past, he 
you know, slowly got into the window throughout the weekend, didn't qualify tremendously well, um, you know, started the race third, seemed to do a decent job, but couldn't really make ground on Hamilton. Russell got close to him, even as the, you know, and as was potentially able to attack while he wasn't able to pull away from Russell, which was surprising. As you said, I think their setup still suits them very well coming out of corners. It seemed like Russ Perez was able to manage the gap, manage the battery and dump the battery at the start of the straights and really keep Russell at bay where until the safety, the virtual safety car hit Russell really didn't look like from driver cam. He never really looked like he had a great shot at it. And so, but virtual safety car comes around. There was a little bit of a snafu there where it seemed like they signaled ending of the safety car twice. Perez, a little confused, was not ready for the second call while Russell was geared up and blew by him right at the virtual safety car. So what do you read into that? Is this a, you have concerns for Perez and and he's sort of falling off the the good form he had early in the season, or was this just a, a, a sort of an outlier event and other than the virtual safety car, he would have ended on podium still. Yeah, I mean, all in all, I don't think it was really that bad of a weekend for Perez. Uh, I'll be honest, like when the Russell overtake happened, my like bleeding heart for Perez and my Twitter, like just started crying out. And my Twitter fingers were just like, what the fuck? Like virtual safety cars are bullshit. I was like hitting in all the group <laughs> texts that I was a part of. It was like tell people off. But when cooler has prevailed after the fact, like, it appeared what what apparently happened. They had like a system glitch and the virtual safety car notification. Yes, what happened was screwy, but it happened equally to all drivers. And so, on that basis, you can't really say that George Russell was advantaged. He just used the information that he had, which was the same information that Perez had, in a more savvy manner than Perez. So it's like all credit to him, man. He timed it right. He was within the boundaries of the rules. That's part of driving too. Was knowing how to operate in the boundaries of the rules to get an advantage over another driver. One of my favorite drivers, Fernando Alonso, is known for that more than anyone. And so it's like, hey, man, like you just caught him sleeping. So good for you. But I agree. Apart from that, I don't think he was going to get around him. Um, And that fact, even though Mercedes had better true pace at that stage of the race, I think is largely why Red Bull has chosen the car philosophy that they've chosen, because it will allow them to be marginally slower in turns than a lot of the cars that they're racing against. But if they can get track position, still win. So um, that would have been true for Perez, I think, without the safety car. Yep. Well, earlier in in that battle, we did see a moment where at the turn eight, nine chicane, and this is where that ran him off. he lost. Well, this is where Perez lost a ton of time to signs as well, and ultimately allowed signs to get in a position to pass him later in the race. So I don't know what was happening with Perez, but he was really, really hitting the brakes hard going into that chicane. Russell, seeing something similar, dove down the inside, was alongside Perez, never fully in front, but ended up going wide, bumping Perez off track. And subsequently, Russell, all over the radio, complaining that Perez needed to give the place back, even fully litigating, you know, the specific rules in which he was far enough alongside, et cetera. So I guess the question to you is, one, what was your takeaway of the the battle overall? And given Russell's attitude of late, is he quickly becoming the least likable person on the grid? <laughs> Maybe Mr. Consistently no, Hated? No, no. I like George Russell. I, I, I do. I think, uh, yeah, I'm not going to assassinate the guy for a little, uh, you know, a little biased, lopsided, inter-race driver tactics and interpretation of the rules. Everybody does that, man. Like everyone does. So um, it's like, it's like, it's like hating a guy in basketball for arguing fouls. It's just like, it's part of your job description, man. Like, um, so no. Uh, and, and in terms of, um, you know, the move of Perez getting pushed to the outside, I mean, Perez also did have that other, and I don't remember if it was before or after, but, when Russell got on the outside of him and wasn't necessarily given space on the exit either. Now he didn't get his front tires in front before the turn, but like, ah, it's just racing, man. Uh, yeah. Don't really put a whole lot of stock well, into it. And, and to Russell's credit one, he's sort of the lead representative for like the driver's association. So you got to credit him for his impressive ability to sort Dude. of, 
adjudicate. quote the rule book and and adjudicate <laughs> that while continuing to battle with Perez. Yeah. So uh, some impressive uh, some impressive um, managing multiple priorities. But I do to that point. I think at least as far as I understand it, he is correct in the fact that if a driver is as alongside as he was, they have full right to basically go as wide as they want, as long as they stay on the track. So in terms of the written, and that's what you saw in Silverstone with, with Perez as well, right? He pushed multiple drivers wide, did not get a penalty for it, but I think it leads to a bigger question of, is that rule right? I, I don't think how it is written today is correct. We talked about this a little bit of like, what is a workable solution? I think the inside driver needs to leave space for the outside driver to legally have a place on the track, but that's not what the rules say today. So are the rules wrong? Do they need to be revised in, in terms of how they're written to not create a, a perverse incentive for a driver to dive bomb? force a other driver off the track. And then at least as the rules are written, although not enforced, be entitled to that position. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to hold drivers accountable to the outcome on the other side of the turn uh, because every turn's different. And I don't know how you can calibrate to that perfectly. I think the best thing to hold them accountable to is the position that you earned going in to the turn. Um, you know. Well, but what the rules are saying is that what Russell did was perfectly legal and he should have gotten that spot because Perez left the track. As far as I understand it. Yeah. Russell being sufficiently alongside has the right to go as wide as he did, which means Perez got forced off the track, which means shouldn't Perez have to give that position up? But you're well, saying what? Perez was in front this, and so it's still his position. Yeah, I mean, unless you have a reliable way of knowing whether it was necessary for Russell to go that wide or not, which I guess you'd have to tell on telemetry, which I don't know if you can do that objectively. Well, but I think what you would say is he has to be, he's alongside another driver. He has to allow, be going slow enough into that corner to allow another well, driver to have space on the exit. That's the thing is that there just isn't a perfect reality where there's always going to be situations where there's a way to create room for two cars. Like that just doesn't exist in a lot of these turns at the speeds they're going and with the amount of space on the exit of those turns, like there just isn't room for two cars. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what you do. One guy's got to give it up. Like, so it's just hard to say. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I am sure that is not the last time that this will be uh, litigated over team radio, but during a race, can I, can I also just in defense of George Russell here? Like, look, I'll just say the thing Please. that needs to be said. The, gla- the guy clearly folds his pajamas in the morning. Like, he's a man. He's a he's a rule follower. Like, he's a nerd, for sure. Like, I get it. Like, I, I, I'm not going to try and defend him on that. But, like, he's also a really damn good racer. And he's very fast. So, uh, I think, I think I'm going to give him some, some leash. We can excuse him. <laughs> well, he did a tremendous job. And we uh, and was a little bit more in the thick of it this race. We haven't talked about Hamilton because, admittedly, he was a bit of a was a non-issue throughout the race. Um, he, he, he's great. I'm sorry. I think earlier I said Perez started third. He started fourth. Hamilton started third. I'm sorry. No, hey, Perez hey. was third, right? Hamilton took Perez right off the line. That's right. Hamilton short was of that. Yeah. Yep. Hamilton took Perez straight off the line. And then after that had a pretty lonely race, but he, once again, he's on qualifying into coming into form outperformed Russell, which puts them even on the year in terms of qualifying. And I think this once again, speaks to the fact that, um, you know, without Hamilton having to be the Guinea pig, he's in, he's in a good position overall. All right, let's make another, a couple of quick hits on some of the other teams here. Uh, looking at Alpine fourth in the constructors championships. And I think they demonstrated why once again, this week with Alonzo beating Norris and you had, uh, Ocon beating Ricardo. So picking up points and widening the gap there. I, from my perspective, they're in a, a strong, strong position through the rest of the season. Uh, the other one that stood out to me, I mean, we had Alfa Romeo, unfortunately, with a really weak performance overall. Again, Joe, DNF. We had similar situation with Alfa unfortunately. Sonoda going out with, after contact with, with Ocon on lap one, but Gasly, a woefully unimpressive performance, both in qualifying as well as in the race. But Haas again, Ferrari power 
Magnuson, knowing that he was taking an engine penalty, performed tremendously well early in qualifying, starting on mediums, made up seven places, eight places even, within the first couple of laps. So again, really streaky team. They have these flashes of brilliance, but can't quite seem to to pull it together. And then just rounding things out, we have Aston Martin, which again, a pretty pretty poor performance across the weekend, despite a really good start from, from Stroll and a little bit of a break check on his own teammate to, to secure the one point over Vettel at the very end. Uh, what's your take there? Was that a, a fair move from Stroll? And what was Vettel thinking? A little, uh, a, a little too aggressive at fighting for that one point in 10th place? Honestly, like I'm just happy for Lance Stroll that he can come up with anything that'll make me even pay an ounce of attention to him. So kudos to him. Uh, (laughs) Like otherwise he's basically not on the grid in my view. So I'm happy he's come up in this conversation. Good for you, Lance. And then uh, Williams. Yeah. Frankly, at this point, who cares? (laughs) So uh, (laughs) great summary. I have have uh... nothing to add (laughs) other than (laughs) dude. I really love Fernando Alonso. I really do. Every week. I love him more and more. I, I, I badly, badly, badly want him to win a race. Well, w- w- I think that's a good segue because let's go to personal podium. I-, I-, I touched on one point with Russell's impressive multitasking skills, being able to litigate from the, the cockpit. The other one is Alonzo, in my opinion, with the most badass radio message <laughs> of the weekend. I- I'm glad they played that, you know, talking about the window to McLaren when it was with Norris followed by Ricardo. And he was saying, it basically gave him like the let them come message. Uh, let them burn out their tires. He, no fear, uh, just killer attitude. Gotta love it. I know, dude. He's an absolute murderer. I just so, <laughs> I just so want him to win a race, man. Like he just so he deserves it. I wish so bad. I know why it's not possible, but oh, I want so badly well, for him to be in a. Well, before car. we get before we before we say that uh, before we get to the let's not say that before we get to the the prognostications for the Hungaro ring. But who did you have on your personal podium? Uh, I had uh, Hamilton just because I think that. You know the quiet level of resurgence and consistency. It should be should be rewarded. I think Mercedes in general. It was so weird because they just like you th- on paper going into the weekend. You were like smooth track, a lot of high speed turns. Like this is a, definitely a track they could continue to come into their own. And so on paper, it seemed like an easy prediction going in. But then like practice and qualifying, they just didn't seem to really be on top of it for one reason or the other. And then they just showed up in the race and honestly, for the first time all year, like stayed in the lead car pit window with very little help, uh, which correct me if I'm wrong, Gerald, but I don't think they've done that all year uh, without the help of a safety car. So yeah, I mean, I don't think we should overlook the fact that they just made a massive step forward. I mean, Max. I mean, was, yeah, you compare that to Austria where you had, had the safety car and they were still massive gaps behind come the end of the race. Yeah, I mean, Max drops it in one turn and spins. He's losing the race. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they were far closer than they have been before. So, uh, yeah, I mean, acknowledgement to Hamilton. And, uh, yeah, I just also want to give a shout-out to Jack Wolf. He got a little TV time uh, over the weekend, you know, found his father's lap in the uh, in the pit wall. We had a oddly human moment for Toto Wolf as a father. Uh, which we've never seen. And honestly, I didn't think would ever happen. So uh, yeah, shout out to Jack. I hope he's got great things in store in the future. Graham, I uh, I, I thought we talked about after episode one, we weren't going to talk about who Jack Wolf and whose lap he was sitting on anymore. <laughs> he just couldn't resist, could you? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm ashamed. I'm honestly disgusted with myself. All right, moving on. DNF of the week. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go the entire Ferrari organization, and then I'd also like to throw the Sky Sports broadcast team under the bus for their immediate conspiracy theory and speculation about Leclerc's throttle pedal because it's fit their narrative and being totally wrong. So they got some egg on their face. I'm going to go a little bit different of a path, but similar lines. Ferrari, but I'm going to give it to the drivers this week. Leclerc, DNF, signs, exiting the pit window early. And or uh, exiting the pit early, unsafe release. Also, for not rejecting his team's strategy and going with his gut and staying out after passing Perez. Other than that, the team, other than just sounding generally ignorant, didn't really make any glaring mistakes on, you know, mechanical failures or 
terrible strategy calls. So I think uh, for this week, I think the broader Ferrari as a whole has to be feeling pretty good. Um, I would say Sky Sports, more so for the arbitrary and unsubstantiated Hamilton has a chance at winning this race claim. Um, not sure where they picked that up, but um, a little overeager in my opinion. And then lastly, Perez, regardless of the, the virtual safety car mess up, it, you got to be on it a little bit sharper than that, especially when you're looking at the fat last few laps in a race. All right, let's close things out with a brief look ahead. We got the Hungaro ring coming up next. Uh, <laughs> Graham, it, tell me a little bit about your disdain for the track, please. Dude, every turn is the same. There's only a short straightaway. The only way this is going to be an interesting race is if it rains. I'll just say it. And that's why last well, year was interesting. Well, I, uh, I'm happy to report I recently checked the, the forecast on my way home today and looks like Saturday, 80% chance thunderstorm Sunday, yeah. 60% chance of rain. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Love to hear about, I oh, love to hear that. So as we know, but just as a, a bit of a, of a level set before we get into predictions, remind the audience here, uh, 2021 Hungaro ring race, rain race. This was the Botas goes bowling race. Uh, where... <laughs> he just sent it into the first corner <laughs> took out like well, half the field <laughs> akin to his terrible start that he had this weekend started the yeah. race second got beat off the line by damn near everybody norris squeezed in in front of him and uh he not one to let that slide by subsequently missed the brakes completely locked up hit the back of norris who subsequently hit Verstappen. Botas goes on to to hit Perez. I believe Norris and Perez both DNF that race. Uh, Stroll, not to be outdone by Botas's uh, poor performance, subsequently runs into Leclerc at the same corner, D- causes him to DNF. Verstappen continues, but has bad damage. Uh, barely recovers throughout the race. It leads him to have a nice little battle with Schumacher, which was, I think, by far Schumacher's highlight of the season. Um, all of the drivers coming back from that red flag, except Hamilton, head into the pits for slicks because during that red flag time, the track had stopped raining, dried enough. Hamilton was the only driver on track, still on intermediate tires, leading him to uh, pit on lap four, give up track position, and putting Ocon in first place while Hamilton fights back through the rest of the field successfully, I might add, until... Wait, he... wait, wait, wait. This was the race where Hamilton started as the only car on the grid. Yes, after the red flag. Yeah, that was nutty. Yeah. Yes. So a bit of a strategic failure by Mercedes sends Hamilton to... I don't know if it was last place or yeah. or close no, to... I think dead, it was it last, last place. It was like the equivalent of starting from the pit line. Yep. So he start, sent him to the back, subsequently climbed up the order, looks like a man possessed until he ran into uh, Alonzo and, yeah. and subsequently had probably the best battle of the entire season, save the last you know couple of laps. But given that that was for the championship, pretty impressive. Held up Hamilton for 12 laps until locking up his tires. Uh, just too much to handle at the end of it. Hamilton slides by, gets by signs, unable to pass Vettel in second place and leaving Ocon in first uh, to take home his first win in Formula One, Alpine's first win since being Lotus. And um, just a great moment for all of them, which leads me to wonder, with a rain race on the horizon, what is your prediction? Do you think maybe this is the uh, Alonzo's chance I, to to pick up that win of the season? I, I didn't know anything about the forecast before we hopped on this uh, call, and I my prediction was Alonzo podium. And as soon as you said rains in the forecast, I literally deleted that row in the Google sheet and put Alonzo <laughs> win as my prediction. I think Alonzo is winning. This is it. This is the weekend. To be wow, just to put a really fine point on this, there's only one driver on the grid that if Christian Horner had just inexplicably not renewed Perez's contract and fired him and replaced him for 2023, there's only one driver on the grid that I he could have replaced him with and I'd not been mad about it, and it's Fernando Alonso. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a, a dream pairing, right? Verstappen and oh. Alonso together. 
I they also I think have a lot of mutual respect for one another because they're both very aggressive drivers. Um, and Fernando also like he he doesn't really like the bullshit like politics of the sport either, you know. Uh, and he I think he respects Max's directness. I think they'd be a good pairing, but it'll never happen. So anyway, all right, what's yeah, your prediction? It would be it would be too much candor in in one garage. I don't think the I don't think they could handle it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I struggle with this one, but I I think. You know, against my my better nature, I, I, the trajectory that Mercedes has been on, and and this whole idea of I'm going to buy into the the Sky Sports propaganda, and I'm going to say this is going to be a Hamilton win. Something's going to happen at the front of the grid, something crazy. I think Hamilton pulls this out and is the first ever driver over 300 races to pick up a win. It's not a bad bet. I think that there's decent odds on that one. That's a good one. Uh, I'm not sure that that's a fully quote unquote wild prediction. My other one is I would say I'm putting Norris on the podium. Good rain qualifying. That's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. I'm going for it. Let's see how it plays out. Well, Graham, as always, this has been a treat. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week for uh, another debrief on how Ferrari squanders another points opportunity and, and slips further away from any hopes of capturing a constructors championship. Can I just say, can I just say one thing in closing? Oh, please. No. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't have said it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Bye everybody. (laughs) See you G. It's been real. Peace.